welcome to the podcast at thatguitarlover.com. I'm Ross Chevalier. And on this episode, I'm joined by Dylan Barros from the Arts Music Store here in Newmarket, Ontario. And Dylan's agreed to sit down and discuss getting going with making your own recordings at home. Welcome, Dylan. Please take a moment to introduce yourself and share with the audience some of your background. Sure. Thank you so much, Ross. Thank you for having me on. Uh, yeah, I am a uh, multi-instrumentalist musician. I started playing guitar at 13 and uh, started branching out and learning uh, as many instruments as I could because they were available in there. Um, got a giant love for music. I went to independent music production. It's a course at Seneca at York that is offered. It's a one-year program. Um, that's where my recording kind of experience kicked off. That's when I started learning you know, using different DAWs, learning compressors and EQs, recording just in general, uh, along with a lot of other stuff, songwriting, um, you know, the industry copywriting and um, other kind of, it was kind of a well-rounded course in, in music in a way. It wasn't all production, but that's where I learned all my foundation. And since then, I've, uh, I've worked in radio. Uh, I've been a uh, production intern. I've been a remote broadcast engineer. Um, did all the audio kind of stuff in, in my radio experience. So I have that and uh, sort of a freelance producer, mm-hmm. mixer for uh, other bands when they call me, which is nice. Um, and then also for my own solo music, which I've been doing for for many years in, in different forms. And all my experiences just come from trial and error, essentially, after IMP and a lot of YouTube Practical as well. Practical use. Yes. Yeah. Practical hands on. Theory is good, but practical is where it all comes together. Absolutely. Well, that's great, Dylan. Uh, for our conversation today, I want to start at the very beginning. As you and I have discussed, our audience consists of, let's call them beginners to intermediates. And for a musician to start recording themselves, what are the basic componentry? that folks are going to need to think about having that are going to help them be successful as a recordist and a recordist working at home, not paying for studio time. Mm-hmm. So the very basic uh, pieces are going to be a computer, some sort of laptop, uh, desktop, whatever it needs to be, whatever is handy. Uh, I started off on a laptop. As a matter of fact, it was an old MacBook. Um, which was great. It was actually very impressive for what I threw at it at the time, but you would need a computer of some sort with a uh, USB capability in order to run a interface, which is the next important step. Interfaces come in, you know, various forms. Um, They're as cheap as, you know, 120 bucks at a store for a single or double channel interface. You're going to need one of those. And then lastly, you will need some sort of recording software a DAW, as it's referred to. Um, there are many free ones out there, GarageBand, which comes with Mac. I actually, that was sort of my, my, my start. It was GarageBand and Audacity were the two that I started off with. That's how I made my demo to apply for my, my college course was in Audacity and GarageBand. Because um, back then, I used a webcam mic mm-hmm. because I didn't have any other microphone to use and I didn't have an interface, so I was going USB in and I you know, it was like, how, what am I going to use to record like this demo? 
I need to send into the course. And I used a webcam microphone to, to record an entire drum kit, which I moved from my basement up to the second floor near my desktop at the time so I can record with a <laughs> webcam microphone. And I did my guitars like that. And uh, it was uh, the trashiest recording you've ever heard. And I still have it somewhere, but uh, it was enough at the time. I guess they saw enough enough drive in me at the time. Like, okay, this this guy's trying to figure it out. So <laughs> we think, will accept him. We'll do him a what? favor. I really, I admire that because it is very much reminiscent of how a lot of the early rock and R&B stuff was recorded. These folks didn't have big fancy kit and expensive studio mics. I mean, you look at the original Motown stuff, it was pretty basic because that's what mm -hmm. they could afford. Yeah. You know, Sam Phillips' son studio, yeah, okay, it was a studio and it had a tape deck, but there wasn't a whole lot else there. And yet... To your point, some pretty awesome music came out of it. So, mm -hmm. I, I I like your I like your attitude in that you don't have to go bankrupt to do this. No, but it's a lot easier to do today than I think it's ever been. What do you would you agree? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I mean the amount of money that I've spent on recording gear versus even guitar gear is a tiny fraction. You know, I have maybe eight mics, you know, in order to record a full drum kit. And I maybe my entire collection is like $800 worth of mics, mm -hmm. maybe, maybe a little bit more, but either way, um, that, and that's eight microphones. That is like, right. I, I, which I've accumulated over the years, you know, a $400 interface and a computer is a computer. Most people kind of have that already. And then you're, you know, making, making bring you. home records. Bring yeah. you, bring your friends and. Go for it. Exactly. And unfortunately, fix it in the mix, in the box sometimes. Well, but I don't know that that's a sin, although some people seem <laughs> to think it is. It definitely it, it can kind of uh, hinder a workflow. I'll say that. But Fair it enough. is possible. Fair uh, enough. Which I'm sure we will expand on. Well, that sounds like a good place to start getting recorded. Now, obviously, you're going to want to do playback, particularly when you're doing some mixing. Generally, we'll find that folks are recommending some type of powered monitor as opposed to generic computer speakers. In my experience, they're not the same. Why would you say one would choose a decent pair of powered monitors and what the benefits are compared to, hi, I'm Bob, I have computer speakers? Built-in computer speaker, yeah. Built the built-in <laughs> speaker. What a horrible, horrible thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, for one, uh, I remember... My, my old, I had a Personas audio box before my, my uh, Focusrite. And that actually didn't give me the liberty of even having the choice to use my built-in laptop speakers or headphones while I was communicating with the interface. So for that matter, I was sort of you're forced into using, which is a good thing because the benefit of using proper powered monitors is that you're getting um, a lot closer anyways to a more transparent realistic sound um you know people will make the mistake of of mixing completely in headphones or or earbuds and it could be a little bit um you know it's a disillusion in, in a way it's you know it might not be representing the full frequency spectrum and it might be focusing in on 
mid-range only. Mm -hmm. um, whereas monitors placed at the correct spacing, um, ideally they're going to get you closer to being able to hear the flaws in your recording and give you an accurate representation. Because the last thing you want to do is get used to your built-in computer speakers or your you know um, computer monitors and mix a record just to find out oh wow I you know this 20 dB boost on the bass was actually a bad idea now that I'm listening to it anywhere else other than my small computer speakers well I think that's a very good point that you make I mean you've been to school for it and I've done this for too many decades mix for the best and it will sound great on the worst Yep. Mix for the worst. It's going to sound like raw sewage anywhere else. Absolutely. And you're right. And a lot of folks, unfortunately, make the mistake thinking that they can mix effectively on earbuds. And even mixing in headphones is not optimal. Mm -hmm. There is a psychological response to volume and a psychological response to moving air. You're only ever going to get that out of a decent monitor. But to your point, you don't have to spend a fortune on them. Not at all. Not nope. at all. I mean, you've got, you mentioned that you started with PreSonus stuff. I, I think you can get started with a three-inch pair of monitors for a couple hundred dollars. And they sound pretty darn good. Yeah. I, I've been using the same, I, I don't know the model, but they're Yorkville yeah, monitors. Yorkville, that I, Yorkville I, ones, the Mackie ones. Right here where we're recording today, there's some KRKs. Mm-hmm. Right. So again, it's a it's a case of what are you trying to get out of it? And you want decent sound, but you're not trying to build capital records. You don't want to be mixing on, you know, a pair of Apple earbuds or through your car or anything like that, even though that's like, you know, it might be the place, oh, that's how I'm going to listen to it anyways. But it's a very useful tool using those different environments to mix check yourself. So Absolutely. to mix with real monitors, so you're getting a decently accurate representation and you can hear a good frequency spectrum. And then to be able to, I will test through my phone speaker, just my Apple out loud, we'll test that. I will test it through a uh, mini Marshall speaker, through a car, through earbuds, um, through my TV. For ma as a matter of fact, it's, it's funny, I have a, uh, it's a very small TV I use for video games mostly that's in my room. And there was a song that I put out years ago that it wasn't until I referenced the song once it was uploaded to YouTube. And I don't know necessarily if this was a YouTube compression thing or just my mix in general, but it was a, an oversight on my part on the amount of compression on the drums, because through that, the tiny speakers in this TV, there came a point where all I heard was pumping of the drum right. and the kick drum was completely disappearing. And I thought, Oh, that's not good. It, it might've went over my head through all these other sources, but through this crappy TV speaker, I was able to hear this, this error in my processing. For a lot of folks, they are choosing to upload to YouTube. And there is massive compression that, they're, that YouTube's going to do to make their bandwidth use efficient. And the same thing is true for any of the streaming services. So again, you do need to think about that a little bit you know when i'm recording i'm using tools to manage the output level with the luffs in accordance with where the thing is most likely going to be played back 
I'm glad we started with output because I think it's important for the recordist to think, start with the end in mind. How am I going to hear it? Because that will right. guide you to the point you make about where you kind of want to be. Now let's come back to the interface. Uh, interfaces we know, uh, you mentioned USB. That's the most common and certainly the most cost-effective method of getting an interface. You can certainly spend more um, to use uh, to buy an interface that uses Thunderbolt that will give you some less latency. Would you recommend some options, brands if you will, based on your experience and offer your insight into how many active ports are going to be optimal for the home recordist. Maybe start with singer-songwriters and then take that further if you're going to record a band where there is, and this is something you had brought up before, a drum kit. Now, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the Focusrite Scarlet series. I think money for quality and user-friendliness and even all the added stuff that comes with those interfaces, um, you know, it's an easy decision in my books. That's that kind of middle starting point. Um, and I own one currently. I have the e-channel version of that. Now, when it comes to different usages and different, uh, I guess, you know, function for different musicians and recording artists, um, singer-songwriter is probably going to get by with a two-channel interface, ideally two XLR. I usually right. try to to steer people away. There's one Focusrite interface that is strictly US or strictly XLR and then DI input. Yes. Um, you know, for the extra fifty dollars or whatever it is, I would say get the one that has the two inputs that are both XLR and, and quarter inch and quarter inch. Yeah, because that that will just save you at some point down the road. You know, if oh maybe, absolutely. It just yeah. makes sense, right? It does. Even if you're just recording a single vocalist, you might want a room mic. Mm-hmm. Just to fill in, you know, some expansion and background. So I think that's Absolutely. really great advice. Yeah. Start with two XLRs. Don't go for a single port or a single XLR and single high Z, what we'll call the guitar input. Yes. It's definitely, it's so much more versatile to just spring for that, that, now, you, you mentioned the Focusrite line. I'm going to get behind you 100% on that. Mm -hmm. uh, I've got a bunch of them because they're extraordinarily cost-effective. They have really good preamps in them. When you consider what you're getting for the money, I don't think they can beat myself, in my opinion. And you can get these nice portable ones. Look, there's one there on the desk. I don't need... AC power, I just plug it in. You mentioned starting with a laptop. I do a lot of field work. Singer-songwriters, yeah. you know, go record folks in their homes because that's where they are. Yeah. You know, my friend Jim from Sweetwater talked about the grandma who just wants to record herself singing, playing her ukulele because it makes her happy. Terrific. Little Focus Right does exactly all you need to do that. Now, what happens when we do want more a band for example or multi-instrumentalist plus a vocalist mm -hmm. that's when you have to start considering interfaces with with some extra ports 
Um, I know that there's ones that are available in four and six and eight for the most part. It's increments of two. Now we can sort of, where it starts to get, you know, to be uh, necessary to use all those ports for the most part is drums. You can record drums, which you usually traditionally start with when you're making a song. You record drums first, you lay that down. Now it's time for uh, bass. It's going to be a single, you know, plug, maybe DI and then maybe uh, a mic up against a bass cab. So two mics you're talking there, guitar, usually no more than three. And this is all being done in steps. And so steps. traditionally, or the, the modern way, I should say, is maybe eight mics on a drum kit, close mic'd mm -hmm. drums. And in that instance, that is where I have ended up uh, because I record drums at home. And I uh, experiment with close miking and individual mics on different parts of the kit. Eight mics is necessary. Though, uh, though I wanted to say, you know, coming up, don't be afraid to get minimalist with your drum miking. And we, well, we were just kind of mentioning that before we well, started again, here. Again, I think it comes back to what's your desired outcome. You know, yeah. if you want the sound of early Motown or early California recordings or even early EMI studio before it was renamed Abbey Road. Yeah, you may be recording drums with one or two microphones. So start with two port and then if you need more, go right to eight. I, I would say that. Yes. Okay. I, yes. Thank you for I'm with I'm that. with you on that. I think we've identified the interfaces you talked briefly about for folks who have Macintosh computers, they come with GarageBand. You said it was easy to use. I advocate that if you if you're recording at home and you have a Mac, use GarageBand. Take advantage of use yeah. it. It's so simple, and everything that you do in GarageBand can be used in Logic Pro if you end up going that route. For the Windows side. And both of us come from Mac, so, and you're in school, you studied Pro Tools, which is favored by a lot of producers mm -hmm. and mix engineers. But for, I think, for the home user, even though you'll get, uh, I forget what they call it, Pro Tools Starter or something like that. Yeah, I think Pro Tools First, but... Pro that's... Tools First, that's it, exactly right. And you'll get that for free with tools like the Focusrite mm -hmm. stuff. No, it's free anyway, but they make it easier for you to get. Right. Uh, or Ableton Lite as examples. In talking to home people who are just starting out, who haven't the benefit of going the education, they have said that they find the user interface is a little steep without somebody to guide them. And so in that case, you mentioned PreSonus and before Fender bought PreSonus, they gave away Studio One, their basic pack, for free. Yes. And it's a beautiful interface, very GarageBand-like and very, very easy to use. Unfortunately, when Fender bought PreSonus, the free version went away. Nice. So for the Windows users today... Studio One Artist is relatively inexpensive, um, and it's a perpetual license product, meaning you buy it and you own it, it just works, right? 
Um, but one that a good friend of mine uh, who's just gotten into recording and happens to be, you mentioned video gaming. He's a big gamer. Spent a fair bit of money on a gaming machine and didn't want to go out, go out and buy a Mac, even though he had experience. He's using a tool called Reaper and loves it. Super functional. The home use version is 60 bucks. Okay. And it will support all the kinds of plugins and all the types of things that you and I might do with a Pro Tools or a Logic Pro and has a very, very, very shallow learning curve. So that might be something for folks in that space. So we've got our interface. We've got our DAW. Let's talk a little bit about microphones because I find that this confuses the shit out of people. And often, yeah. and, and you're the exception, but often you'll go into a store and the people who know a ton about guitars and amplifiers don't know anything about microphones. And I'm not trying to throw shade on anybody, but that's just reality. So maybe you could talk about dynamic mics, condenser mics, and ribbon mics. We'll keep it to those three categories. What you would propose for the home recordist, along with some kind of rough costing, because you mentioned that you've built a very effective mic locker, eight microphones for under $1,000. Under 1000 bucks. So why don't you take take that away? Yeah, so so we could start with dynamic mics. You know, that's kind of those are the the toughest mics, and they're the most durable, and probably maybe not the most used, but they are applicable in almost every scenario. Um, and know, you I, can I, swing them at the end of a at the end of a cable like Roger Daltrey, and they smack it on the up. floor. Exactly. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to destroy a uh, SM58, a dynamic mic essentially is able to handle a little more PSI. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so, so they that's... They handle high pressure output best. Yes. Like if you're going to stick in front of a... a snare on the head a of a snare. snare. Or a... Or a kick. Or kick. Yeah. Or triple rectifier cabinet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, something right. that's going to blow you, literally Moves. blow you across the room. Yes then that, that is what you're, you're looking at, which, so that's why it's been favorable for guitars. You know, yeah. um, an SM57 is the industry standard mic that you're going to see on pretty much every type of recording guitar scenario. Absolutely. Um, it's a tried and true method. Um, Would, you know, and snare you drums. use those on snares as well? I do. Yeah. yeah. I, I use two when I can, uh, two matched, well, not necessarily matched, but two 57s on the head and on the and underneath uh, the yeah on the rezo side of a snare um and then you get that phase relationship right but that's where you would use dynamics and the thing about dynamics is they're a little more close proximity and the sound right. range of what it's picking up is a lot more contained than a condenser mic right it's a tighter pattern yes right okay and you'd like the sm57s as a good starter microphone. Yeah, that you can get away with that for vocals. Um, even as an overhead, like you can you can get wild with it. Yeah. You know, it, I've and, seen and them used in every scenario. And what's a 57 sell for these days? Just over 100 bucks? 120 bucks, yeah. Yeah, hard to beat that. Yes. And you will find that in every recording studio. Yes. Banks and banks and bank drawers full of the darn things. Mm-hmm. 
If okay. it ain't broke, don't fix it. And that's that's an example. I, I don't know how long the 57 has been around. I don't know if it was. Well, I know when I was start or... when I was apprenticing back in the 70s, there were 57s. Okay. Yeah, there you go. We were using 57s to mic cabinets. Yep. For the purpose of recording. Of course, back then, we didn't have the big PA systems that we do today. So we were depending very much on amplifiers to get the sound to the back of uh, the arena or the, the, well, you know, the high school gym, the auditorium, and the old Ontario Place Forum, the old one that was a. So, okay, so that's probably a decent place to start for a dynamic mic. Mm -hmm. Now, where does a condenser fit in? In your in your world, yeah, a condenser fits in. So also, I, I would I would add that dynamic mics are pretty much exclusively used when it comes to live scenarios. Oh yes, yeah. You uh, mentioned the SM fifty eight. That's the go to vocal, vocal mic for a concert. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that not may so not much. be right for recording. No, exactly. But a condenser that comes into play it's a little more i guess dynamic in a way and it is also more of a sensitive and more broad pickup pattern a condenser would be more applicable in the scenario of drum overheads drum room mic because you want it to be capturing a little further and capture more the room itself right and that's also it's also good for vocalists because you're right. getting some of that extra sparkle and shimmer you're going to get the end. sibilance out of a condenser that you're never going to get out of a dynamic. Yes. Plus, you'll have a larger capsule size. So, greater frequency response and greater dynamic range capability. Mm -hmm. um, now, that in, in mind, I, I do own some condensers. I have a uh, I have two MXL 67 mm -hmm. mics. They're the, little, they're the green condenser mics with the gold yep. um, capsule on top. At the time, it was the cheapest. Like I said, my my collection is very budget friendly, and it was maybe ninety nine bucks yeah. at the time. And I bought two of them for my drum overheads, and I still use them. I, I yes. haven't. I still haven't gotten around to upgrading them, and um, I'm I'm honestly happy using them because I've just learned them over the years. But uh, I have a couple of those, and I have a blue bluebird condenser right. mic. That's my fanciest mic of all all the ones I have. I probably paid four hundred bucks for it. Uh, great vocal mic. Terrific vocal, beautiful mic. on on uh, on vocals, but so picking a microphone is important, and I happen to agree because in my mic locker, I have the red MXLs and the gold ones. I don't have the beautiful British racing green with gold, <laughs> and they work a charm. Yeah, they really do. Yeah, you don't have to. You don't have to go They're into bankruptcy, bad. and if you do want to spend a little bit more, the the blue microphone, the Spark X SL. The Bluebird, like you have, uh, are very good choices. Also, the Rode NT1As, mm -hmm. you know, under under great. 400 bucks, and a really, really fine vocal microphone. The NT1. And, and good for recording drums. Mm -hmm. uh, Absolutely. You're not going to stick in front of a blowing out guitar cabinet, because that's not what it's designed for. No. No, you'll be stressing stressing that microphone maybe from a distance yeah you know that's where that comes into play as a room microphone yes or if, if you record in the rightly or wrong what i call the jimmy page style there is no such thing as close miking right 
then it's a terrific, a condenser is a terrific mic in that regard. Um, now, one thing that folks should rec recognize with condensers is they need what is called phantom power. The old 48 volts. The old 48 volts. Fortunately, the Focusrite interfaces you recommend all provide that via a push button. Yes. So, no fear. Yeah, so, I mean, ribbon mics architecturally, their sensing element is shaped like a ribbon. As opposed to a conical or circular form, they tend to be warmer, darker, as you suggest. Mm -hmm. uh, they are not requiring a 48 volts. The newer ones have technology that if you do send them 48 volts, they'll shunt it. So no exploding. Nice. Very yeah. helpful. Very, yeah. very beneficial. Oh and they do provide that very specific sound. So I think we've talked about condensers and dynamics. For most home recorders, they're going to get away just fine with those. Mm -hmm. The ribbon is much more sensitive on placement. And in my experience, and I'm not saying I'm the world's expert, three inches makes a big difference to a ribbon, whereas it won't so much to a dynamic. Okay. You know, like we'll typically, you and I would sit down, we talk about miking a guitar cab. We may not be right on the cone, right? We might be slightly off-centered. That's a subtle difference. With a ribbon, it's a massive difference. Okay, And so, and again, they tend to get very expensive. I mean, of all my mics, I only have one ribbon, and it's a very inexpensive one. And to me, it sounds great, but I don't have a thousand plus dollars to drop on a, you know, a Royer 121 or Bayer Dynamic 160, which is, that's what you get in the mic lockers of professional studios. That's the benefit. Yeah. yeah. But for home recordists, would you agree that while they're nice and fancy, they're not really necessary? No, I would absolutely agree with that. Okay. Yeah. Cause I mean, I've, like I said, I've never owned a ribbon, uh, Ever in been, my experience, I have never used one. In, in and you've a been a successful or, recording engineer and producer for quite some time. Yep, you make do. It's only now that I'm, you know, developing more of an acquired taste and learning my gear a little bit more. And I've always been kind of a a Marshall guy, and you know, a 412. So it's got a lot of lows. But now, as of recent, I've got an open back combo. This is brand new to me. Open back Fender combo, and I'm using pedals to drive the thing. And I might get up. It's not exactly translating. To that big wall of sound anymore no, so it's a very different creature yes which and is now you get into and you get into with open back cabinets as you say oh i do need two microphones mm -hmm. but i need one on the back not two in the front yes whereas the classic and again let's go back to the marshall that's a 57 and if you can afford one a ribbon yes right 57 upper left ribbon lower right Yep. That's classic, right. classic, classic humble. generic yeah. studio setup. And it will do. And it will do a good job. Yeah. So let's summarize our microphones. Dynamics for amplifiers, condensers for vocals. Don't spend a fortune. You're good to go. Yes. At the very beginning. And yep. you can develop your taste and yeah. with experience will come your preferences and right on. You can expand on that for sure. 
Now, when we get down and talking about uh, talking about mixing, I don't know about you, but I tend to be doing that when nobody else is around. I don't want help. Mm-hmm. I don't want the people in the virtual control room hammered drunk telling me how it should sound. <laughs> right. So I tend Too to do that cooks. later in the evening. And while I want to hear what it's going to sound like through monitors, there are times when I or you or other home recordists can't have full volume. And that's when you go to headphones. Are there any particular headphones that you'd like or that you would suggest for the home recordist to have? Do you favor open ear, closed back? What would you propose for that kind of purpose where you can't run your monitors? Mm-hmm. That's uh, yeah, that's a great question. And I know Audio Technica makes a, a variety of some affordable um, headphones that are great that I've tried um, that we sell at my job. And I would like to say, though, I would probably recommend close back for the sake of mixing because you're getting a better bass response. You're getting a little more information in that regard that you can hear what you're doing. But also when it comes to, so say you're the the do it all, you're that singer songwriter at home, you're mixing and you're recording yourself and performing. I have noticed, and it took me years to kind of figure this out. A lot of singers will struggle when they're first going up to a mic to record their own voices. And from what I can tell, it's usually because it's closed back headphones because it puts your voice completely into your own head and you feel your own resonance and it can be very, very alien. Uh, you're now no longer a part of the room, which is where you've been practicing all your life singing mm-hmm. out into open space. Now you're like in a, it's almost, you know, not not equivalent, but it would be, um, I'm sure, a similar feeling to one of those dead rooms where it's completely mm-hmm. silent and it feels alien. That's what it feels like to actually perform with closed back. Though, closed back headphones recording drums is the preference, I would say. Mm. You you want to be completely in enclosed so you know, you can actually compete with the volume of your drums for one. It can cancel out some of the noise of your analog drums in the room, be able to hear your click track and maybe your processed sounds coming back at you. Um, but for vocals, an open back pair of headphones kind of will allow a singer to uh, be a little more comfortable by enclosing both ears and still have that open back point. So obviously you're not getting as much low end response, but it's kind of giving you the illusion that, oh, you're still free in the room. I think that you make a very, very good point here uh, that is frequently ignored. Having worked with folks who are have only ever sung for themselves, you're right about the discomfort that comes with a closed back. I've found the same thing working with people whose singing experience is in a choir. You clamp on a set of closed back headphones and they lo- they're lost because they're used to that sense of space. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned the Audio Technica line, uh, which you do sell at your store. And fortunately for the home recordist, They've got solutions for both the vocalist and for the drummer, 
the other musician um, and for mixing and producing that I think do a good job. Mm-hmm. Uh, the M50s are closed back and they're fabulous for that purpose. And for the vocalists, the M60s, they're a great open, open back. They've got great dynamic range and great frequency response. Particularly good for sopranos and bass singers. You know, baritone might be able to get by with a close back. Bass singer's going to find something's badly missing because there's no mm. there's no sub bass resonance and no sub octave resonance that you're ever going to get in a closed back headphone. You know, you put a bass singer in front of a decent microphone. There's more there. Right. Right. So I think that your guidance there on depending on what you're recording is going to drive you to a type of headphone. Mm-hmm. You know, the closed back probably covers more bases, particularly if you're mixing because you wanted the yeah. isolation. But if you're recording a vocalist, particularly a singer songwriter, even if their guitar is being recorded, they want to hear something. Yeah. Some sort of reference. The open backs are going to do a really, really good job. And again, those Audio Technica headphones, you're not spending a fortune. No, not at all. Um, I think they range like they're just over 200 bucks. Yeah, for M50s, and I think the M60s are around 300. Yeah. You know, so again, it's not an exercise in bankruptcy. But I will suggest that sometimes you'll see these kits that come with the free headphones. Right. They're worth exactly what you pay for. Free. Free. Zero. I think this has been a fabulous introduction for people. I hope you agree. I I think I do, yeah. I mean, let's summarize what you've talked about. Have fun. Don't take it too seriously. What we hear on record, that's finished work. It's kind of like when I teach photography or videography. You only show people the five-star stuff. You don't yeah. show people, and you don't play back the screw-ups. Mm-hmm. Have some fun. Get a decent interface with at least two XLR ends, and I'm playing back. And if you're going to get into drums and that sort of thing, don't buy a four and then a six. Go from a two, go to an eight. A hundred percent. Get a DAW that is easy to use. You talked about GarageBand being just a piece of cake. And I too trained on the old logic, which had a different learning curve. Let's just leave it that way. Logic Pro is very easy, but GarageBand is free. Yeah. And you can record as many tracks as you want. You know, it's not limited to two-track or four-track. I mean, I think about what these guys did in the 50s and 60s with two tracks and four tracks, and that was all. And they only had one machine, so there was no overdubbing. Yeah. You know, they get amazing work. You don't need to go bankrupt, and you don't need to drop five grand on an eight interface or or an eight-port interface. The Scarlets that you talk about are fabulous you know, that you recommended. You also talked about a couple of different microphone types, a good dynamic mic and a decent condenser mic. And if, if I heard you correctly, 
ribbon sounds interesting, but people don't need one at home. Is that right? Correct. That's okay. the, you're, you're absolutely going to run into that. The least of all the applications um, when it comes to recording is the need for a, a ribbon. It's, it's a bonus. Yeah, you know, I sure, agree. But... And maybe it's something you grow into over time if this mm. really gets in your blood. Yes. By the way, if it does, it's very freaking expensive. Yeah. <laughs> Just letting y'all know. This is um, very true. You also talked about uh, having a decent set of headphones. Start with closed back, open backs, a great recommendation. I haven't heard that enough, and I really want to thank you for that. Vocalists are going to be most comfortable with open back headphones. I would say, yeah, own own both if you can. Right. Which, which actually, that's the scenario that I'm in. I have a pair of open back for my singing, recording vocal purpose yep. for the most part, and uh, also a mix check, as we were discussing earlier, yep. testing mixes in different uh, forms of playback and open back versus my closed back ones, just different takes. Oh, definitely, definitely for a mix check. Yes. More than one type is going to be really beneficial to you, particularly if you're going to put it out on something like YouTube or you're going to submit to Spotify or any, you know, any of the independent music channels. Mm-hmm. You want to mix accordingly because, well, you and I both encountered folks worked really hard, did great songs, but the mix isn't working where people are hearing it. That's yeah. why I come back to that start with the end in mind type of thing. I think you've done a fabulous job and I'm really, really appreciative. Are there any final thoughts for our listeners that you would want to share with them? Yeah. Um, You know, I I would say that there are no limitations. There are no limitations. You start with what you can start with. One mic, you'll be able to, if you want, um, you know, record a drum kit. As, as we were talking about, there's there's a way to record a drum kit with a single condenser mic. But even if you don't have a condenser, you can use a dynamic. You know, if if you want to get the which the most classic drum sound ever, you know, when the levee breaks. I don't know how many mics necessarily were happening there. Maybe four. If it was Glenn Johns, maybe three in the actual room around the kit. Then one up the staircase. Yep. You can't get that by using eight, 12 mics no. on your drums. There's no way you can... You don't, you don't get that. And it's very, and to your point, it's about effective use of space too. Yes. Absolutely. That's a combination of close and distant miking, mm-hmm. but not a lot of mics. There, there is no limitations and experiment. There's no rules, you know, run, run your vocal through a guitar amp. If you would like, try that out, send it out of Pro Tools into your amp, record that, you know, don't be afraid of uh, a little bit of bleed coming from the headphones and back into the vocal mic, you know, it's going to be okay and uh, definitely have fun with it and watch a lot of Warren Hart and, uh, you know, all the YouTube produce like a pro, all those kind of videos, and you will be in in good hands. And just trial and error, almost copying, trying to, like, how did they get that sound? What is it about it? And try it, put up some mics and realize, oh, these are very close mic drums. The record is actually pretty distant sounding i can get away with if not putting a reverb on backing off some of the mics and leaving it more open mm-hmm. a la rolling stones and hendrix and all that kind of stuff but uh yeah try to try to copy stuff so again that's Likewise. a that's great advice find something you like go try and duplicate it mm-hmm. 
If you go to art school, they say, okay, now we're going to learn to paint like Picasso or we're going to learn to paint like Van Gogh. It's not about copying. It's about establishing different styles in your own repertoire. I yeah. think that's great advice to people. And like you said, don't be afraid. Anybody can do this. Yes, 100%. And it's all just trial and error. But the more you go and do it, the better you're going to get at it. Uh, that's kind of the rule, right? Mm-hmm. 10,000 hours. And yes. proper practice yep. makes you successful. Dylan, thanks so much uh, for coming in. Would you be interested in being a guest again at some point? I absolutely would, Russ. Yeah. It would be thank a real you so pleasure. much for having me. This was, uh, this was fun. Thank you so much. For the listeners, uh, thank you as always for listening to the podcast at thatguitarlover.com. Please feel free to submit a question through the link on the page or leave a comment. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you didn't like. I always appreciate it, and I guarantee you I read and respond to everything. For myself, I'm Ross. And I'm Dylan Barrows. Thank you so much, Ross. And we bid you peace. Peace.